Good morning. It is good to be together. I know as I look out, we've got quite a few missing. Mike and Nancy, as well as quite a few other members, are in uh, Sevierville, Tennessee. They are at the Polishing the Pulpit conference up there. And so uh, we're going to miss them, but we are so glad that we are able to be together this morning. As we come together, it is always a blessing to be able to draw our minds in from life that can overwhelm us and take a take a special period of time to devote ourselves to God and to recognize the great blessing and go ahead and honor and praise His great name. As we begin this morning, we do want to begin in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles over there as we study serving within our role, serving within my role. What can I do as I work to be a servant in the Lord's church? I do want to give a special thanks to those that are visiting with us. I see uh, some unfamiliar faces, and we appreciate you being here. And our prayer is that uh, you will enjoy the opportunity to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth as we strive to put Him first in all of our actions. As we begin this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll notice first... Within serving within my role, the guidelines that God lays out. Here in 1 Timothy, we begin with chapter 2 and in verse 8, he says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, in verse 8, there are some things that are very important to note. An expectation, an expectation is given for men to pray. Now, within this, this observation, we recognize and we understand that it's not wrong for women to pray. However, uh, as you go throughout the New Testament, prayer is encouraged on many occasions. I think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 where it says, Pray without ceasing, writing to Christians there. We see an important part of a Christian life is prayer. One of the great blessings that we enjoy is prayer. Now, the problem is, within the world today, many have taken the role that is described and we've tried to make it into whatever we want it to be. Oftentimes, it's referred to as 1 Timothy would be an outdated writing or it would be a different culture and so therefore does not apply. But we're going to go ahead and dig in and we're actually going to look at some of the Greek today as we consider the role that God has given me. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, you might notice first that it says the word men. He says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere. Now this word is different than many other times that the word men is translated in the New Testament. This word is a nair, if you go back to the Greek, and it is a male gender-specific term. Now, within the New Testament, there are many times that we use words that are translated man or men. However, it is a, uh, it is a generic term that would be used to reference all, where it could be uh, male or female, either one would be recognized as the individual being spoken of. So here in verse 8 he says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere. You can look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 we have quite a different term, but he says in the times of this ignorance, in verse 30, God winked at, but now commendeth all men 
everywhere to repent. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, the word that is translated or the original word for men there is anthropos. Okay, this is a, a male, male form, but it is a, a neutral understanding. Anthropos could be translated at any time, and it didn't have to be gender specific, but more or less we would understand it as the term mankind. Now, as you look at the word there, the term that is used, uh, aner, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, the word men is used, and it never is used to represent woman. It is never used to represent anything other than man, gender-specific, male as the one doing it. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I don't believe that this means in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8 that women aren't to pray, but rather he says... I would, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Everywhere is another special term. And it has special meaning within the context because it opens it up, it broadens the scope. And not only does it go to location, it restricts the location in a way. It says, wherever you are at, you're restricted to being able to pray there in that location, whether it be in the church whether it be at home, whether it be on the streets, he says, I would that men pray everywhere. Everywhere is adding, added as this limiting factor for how the prayers are offered. You know, as we, as we talk about this everywhere, it recognizes not only the location, but in every group, in any company. He says, wherever you are at, he said, I would therefore that the men pray everywhere. You know, as you go back through chapter 2, he talks about prayer on multiple occasions. He starts in verse 1. He said, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplication and prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. He goes on to talk about the government and those that are, uh, that those are in, who are in authority. He says in verse 4, Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. He goes on to say there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It says between God and men we have the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all. Then he drops down into verse 8 and we see these guidelines. He said, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere. Within this everywhere we understand that there's a, a lead role that is understood within prayer that is offered if you're in the presence of all. You know, if you're in the presence of yourself individually, obviously, pray without ceasing still qualifies. You have the opportunity, you have the blessing of being able to pray to God on any and all occasions. You know, I think about driving down the road sometimes and you can keep your eyes open, watch the road, and you can still have that conversation. You can have that prayer with God, you can enjoy your prayer life and let your heart's desires and requests be made known unto God. Within this everywhere, I think it implies that of the lead role. He says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere. Now as you go back through the, uh, through the New Testament, there are limiting factors on which uh, prayer would be acceptable. I think of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. If they were to go into the street and to offer prayer with the purpose of people seeing them, recognizing them, saying, "Woo, you got a holy man over there. He says, cut that out. 
Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, he recognizes the importance of uh, uh, prayer being done in a way or a manner which the glory was given to God and not to man. I think about the secret place or the closet that he mentions. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door and pray to your father who is in a secret place and your father who is in this secret place, your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. We recognize within prayer that although the Lord says everywhere, limiting you to any occasion, there is a proper attitude that has to go along with it, or Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6 wouldn't be able to fit. There's a proper attitude within the Christian when the prayer is offered. Now, as we talk about prayer, the great blessing of God, I mentioned 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. You can look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Amongst other occasions, we see we have this great blessing where we have an opportunity to, to go to a Father in heaven who cares about us. And he says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. He said, don't worry. When you get into that moment of stress, he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He said, when you get into the, the, the depth of pain and the, the place of sorrow... You don't know what to do and you find yourself anxious or concerned. He said, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, I believe that is absolutely a, a blessing that is afforded to all. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, this everywhere has to be some type of a limiting factor which would only uh, fit within that leadership role. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Kind of a sister passage to what we read in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Here it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. It says, But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. Notice in verse 27, He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And he says in verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We see within this prayer life the, uh, the intercession that is made as they pour out their heart to God. We recognize in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, wherever you find yourself and whatever need that you have, let your prayers be offered to God. Let all your requests be made known to Him. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, when we recognize that the prayer is to be offered by men and on everywhere, every location or every, every site in which they find themselves, we notice that verse, verse 9 elaborates on the situation so that even if we didn't understand the Greek term in there or Anthropos. I don't believe that it would do any damage because we can understand from the context. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, he says, In like manner also, 
that the women. You see the correlation because he said, I gave a guideline that were an expectation for the man. He says, in a like manner also in verse 9, on the other side, he said... Let the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. He gives a task to each one. As we look at the, the guidelines for women, you know, there are many times that God throughout Scripture gives a guideline for the male and then he turns around and gives a guideline for the female. You know, he says, husbands, love your wives. Why is that? I would say it's possibly or most probably because the husband is going to struggle more in this identity, in this factor. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. And then he goes on and he gives guidelines for the woman as well. Why? Because each one has their own struggles. Each one has their own identity. And therefore, he gives guidelines showing that there is a task and a responsibility for one as well as for the other. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, he, he gives that. He says, I, I desire that the men pray everywhere. In verse 9, he says, therefore, he said, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. He says, women, I need you to focus on modesty. In verse 9. You know, within this, the women are to avoid drawing this undue attention that is not expected, that is not becoming. You can go on to recognize in verse 10, it says, in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, with, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array or clothing. And he says in verse 10, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Okay, you recognize, I would say, that within this context, he gives a guideline for the man. He says, I expect this prayer to be offered everywhere. Within this leadership role, if there is a group, he said, I expect you to stand up and be leaders. Sometimes I would say that our problem is more often that men choose not to be leaders rather than women try to take over. As you go throughout the, uh, the religious world today, oftentimes... Uh, there have been men that have stepped to the side and they said, well, you take the lead role and we see this violation of God's divine pattern. So I would say there's more than one thing we can gather from the Scripture. As men, the expectation is to stand up and to lead and to be men as God expected. You go down to verse 13, 14, and 15 and we see God's design for why it happened. Why is, it that, why is that the case, God? Why would you make this expectation or why would you expect us to do it that way? It doesn't make sense to me. Aren't we all just trying to put you first? Absolutely. But you'll see in verses 13 through 15 that God says, this is the way that I designed it. Notice in verse 9 he says, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. And as he goes on, he says, with propriety. With moderation, not with braided hair nor curls, no, sorry, curls, uh, with hair, gold, or pearls, or costly array. Now, when you look at this, when you look at this modesty that he mentions, I don't think that the, the factor is, if you ever wear pearls, that it's wrong. Notice the first word that he says, he says, with moderation. 
Okay, within this, this modest apparel that God expects, it's something that is, as I mentioned on the, the first note that I wrote, not drawing undue attention. Okay, what's the focus? The focus is God. We want to put God first. We want people to recognize God. You recognize in verse 10 it says, professing godliness. We want to tell a story by the way that we dress. We want the world to recognize something by the way we dress. And what he says is it is godliness. Now when you recognize within the focus here on modesty in verse 9, he talks about braided hair, gold, pearls, costly clothing, each one. He references that of dressing up. I would like think of the word lavishing. Uh, the peril that they used, they could have lavished themselves with something that portrayed something other than godliness. Look how great I am. Think back to the prayer that was offered. We read in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6 where he says, hey, go into your closet and pray. Why? Because we're professing godliness. Don't go on the street and boast about it. Look at me and how holy I am. I love God with all my heart and he's forgiven me. Now, is that true? I love God with all my heart and and that I have this great blessing because of the blood of Christ? Absolutely. But just as the, the woman in verse 10 is able to profess godliness through moderation, the man, when he offers his prayers, is able to profess godliness by his lifestyle and not this boastful attitude. Now, within the recognition of what modesty is, I think... Uh, the apparel that they could have lavished themselves with could have showed them or portrayed something that was not godly. And so therefore, God gives the correlation. The expectation is that beauty is to be something far more than just skin deep. It's not just on the outside. It's not merely looking at it and saying, Woo, you see those pearls. Did you see the rock on her finger? Did you see how beautiful her hair was? I have never seen hair that pretty. Okay, he said, rather than looking and all you see is the, the beauty on the outside, he wants people to recognize and look at you. Now that is a godly woman. Now as we look at modesty here, I would say uh, the recognition in verse 9 is this overdressing to portray themselves to be something special rather than what has more commonly become the uh, the problem within our world today, which would be underdressing to do the same thing, to draw undue attention. As you look at modesty here, when he says this, this modest dress that brings glory to God, we have to be careful that we, we don't get into the opposite effect. Uh, there is this idea in the world that within the beauty that's skin deep, if we can show as much skin as possible, then we can have that attention that is drawn to the individual. I think as you recognize modesty within its design, modesty within definition, the recognition is, look, I'm not trying to make it about me. Okay? They wanted something other than the attention going to self. Am I trying to say that it's not right to look good? I think we should all strive to uh, to look our best. Just like we should all strive to pray and we should be unashamed to pray in front, of, in front of people. But there is this boastful attitude that could go along with it that professes something other than godliness. 
So within the modesty here, even though he, although he talks about the overdress, I think we too at the same time can get into a far-reaching problem in that we underdress, we don't cover up enough. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we can start in verse 1, but time's cutting short. First uh, Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Wives likewise. Remember I mentioned this earlier as we talked about the husband. He says, Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if, they, even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, he says in verse 3, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel, he says in verse 4, he says, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. So we look at beauty, said, don't let it be just what we wear and what we put on. Don't let it be just what we show off. Don't let it be a, a lack of clothing, but let it be from the heart. Let it be from within. So as we look within the, the guideline in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he talks about this, this modest apparel. And he says, let it be that which professes godliness. You know, just like Timothy when he says, let no man despise thy youth, but be an example. You go through all the things that he's an example in. In verse 10, it talks about this, this woman. He says, let no one despise you by the way that you dress, but let him recognize God in you. And he says, accompanied with good works. You go back to Timothy. He says, let him recognize through your conversation. Let him recognize through your way of life that you're putting God first. So we see this, this modest apparel is a task or a job that is expected for that of the women. Now, I don't think that takes away from the expectation of man. Should we dress modestly? Absolutely. At the same time, within the guidelines that God gives men, He says, I expect you to pray everywhere. I think it's important for women to have a great prayer life. They have the same responsibilities in offering prayers to God. However, there is a difference in the mannerisms in which it's taken, taken place in which the everywhere recognizes the limiting factor. God expects men in the group or in the uh, assembly of all when there are others to be the lead role. How do we understand that? Read verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11. He said, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Okay, keep it in context. He just said, men, I want you to pray everywhere as opposed to saying, I just want you to pray. You know, it would make sense if he said, I expect you to pray that there would be no, there would be no statement made. It wouldn't say man. Maybe it would say the word anthropos because he expects all mankind to pray. But when he ties in the word everywhere, we've got a restricting factor in which that he expects the man to fulfill this lead role. Notice 
in verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Within this is the word uh, hesukia. Hesukia is a, a word for silence. Uh, it is going to be a different term than the one, than the one that we'll uh, notice in just a little bit. Uh, in Corinth, it references a quietness or a stillness, not meddling in the affairs of others or causing disturbances. All right, you think about the, the role I think about when we come together and as we, as we get together and worship, you could recognize literally today as we sit here and we, we study from God's Word, I would say there is a silence. Uh, hey, Sukiya, while a preacher is talking... Everybody tries to focus and to listen. Now, Corinth is going to do uh, further, further explanation upon this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, but there is a quietness, okay? Now, I don't believe that the word uh, within quietness reprimands the wife for saying, look, be quiet, kids. I don't think it would take away from the, the ability to, uh, to whisper in the husband's ears, but rather as you recognize the, the definition, not meddling in the affairs of others. Uh, I, in fact, I think it would probably do us good to go ahead and look at 2 Thessalonians. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Should be really close to where you're at. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Now he's not saying that you couldn't ever open your mouth you couldn't ever say a word, he says, but your way of life is not meddling in the affairs of others. It's not going to be this, uh, this, if I was to really say, I would say it's not going to be a lead role. It's not going to be the, hey, listen up and let me take over. But rather there's a quietness and a stillness that goes along with it in which they carried on in a, peaceable lifestyle. The word is also translated in verse 2 of 1 Timothy. Quiet. Notice it says in verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Does that mean they never said a word? No, but when it came to authority, when it came to authority, they knew their place. What's the idea in verse 2? Men and women, when it comes to authority, knew their place. And he uses the same word for quiet. Okay? There is a time at which we lead this quiet and peaceable life. All right. The word is translated quiet. It's understood that, look, Within the service, we see this tie to the, the lead role. You see the person that's standing up and takes the lead role and uh, leads in prayer everywhere, in the midst of all. Verse 8, we see the expectation for the man. Verse 11, you see the expectation for the wife to understand her role. Now, there's a different, much stronger term used in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll look at that, and we're going to uh, finish, but we're not going to finish right now. Uh, 1 Corinthians, I knew from the beginning we would put a stop somewhere, and we're going to finish it this afternoon. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 
we see the term sigeo. Now this is another term that we'll see they said be silent. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 34 it says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. Now this is a much stronger term. Within, within our English language, uh, well, maybe I would say it's shut your mouth uh, versus that of be quiet. All right, calm down. You know, you tell your kids the first time, it's like, all right, knock it off. Be quiet. Then it gets a little more serious. And I say one, two, and they know when you get to two, like, hey, life's on the line, or at least your height is. You go through, you go through the understanding. You see here, it was a this is a super important, shut your mouth, be quiet. We have a stronger word that is used for the, uh, for the term quiet. And he says, hey, let your women keep silence in the churches. Are they going to have that lead role? Absolutely not. They're not going to be the one that is up and taking the observation of all. But rather, they're going to lead in moderation. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. They're going to lead in this quiet and peaceable life where they recognize that there is a role that is a God-given role. If you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to glance over verse 12 before we close and we'll look at it just a little bit more later 1st Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 he says and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man but to be in silence he said when it comes to a mixed company he said when you have them together and there is this this idea of worship going on we have a recognition of teaching and understanding going on, he says, let them be in silence. Now, I think it's interesting, we'll look at later, you know, Priscilla and Aquila both had a role in teaching Apollos. Both, one, both of them are recognized or referred to as having taught, recognize a private, set, private setting. Okay? They took him to the side and taught. I don't think it's wrong for a woman to teach in every occasion, but there are some occasions where you have a group such as this where God expects the man to exercise the God-given leadership role. All right, before we close, don't get mad at me. You say, but why? In our society, I think that it's different. In our society, I believe it's demeaning to women to say that they shouldn't have the lead role in teaching. I understand as well as you do that there are some women that could stand up here and do a better job presenting than I do. However, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, God lays out the guidelines for how he expects it to work. And I can picture people saying, but why? In 1 Timothy Paul said, and there's going to be some people that say, but why? So he says in verse 13 through 15, and we'll quit. 
For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, he says, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Why? Adam was formed first. You can say, well, I don't like that. Take it up with God. Within the world today, there are too many people that have grown lax on what God says and have decided that we should do it the way that we feel is best. I'll be the first one to tell you that as you look around the church worldwide, I believe that women have served a great role. I would say there are many people that are faithful today that it wouldn't be if it wasn't for their mamas or another woman that helped them, that shared with them, that encouraged them in the gospel. Recognize professing godliness in verse 11. Through their way of life, people recognize their good works. Do we have a different role? Absolutely. And like it or not, God laid out the roles, not Jared Rhodes. And so therefore, within our ability, let's do our best to give God our all and to worship Him as is right and according to the Bible. If you haven't given your life to Christ, you know it's very simple. Recognizing just as God gave men and women different roles, God gave Jesus Christ a role. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that you could believe in Him. He didn't want you to perish, but He wanted you to be saved. You know, you couldn't have that role because you couldn't fill it. You couldn't wear the shoes that Jesus wore. And therefore, the world would have been lost forever if it had been up to you. But Jesus had a role and He fulfilled His role. The question is, are you going to give your life to Him? You know, Jesus said, If you love me, John 14, 15, keep my commandments. That involves all aspects. If you're not a Christian today, you have the opportunity to come to a loving Savior. Christ gave us different roles, but He loves us all the same. Christ gave an opportunity for all that whosoever, each person could give their life to Him and in part enjoy the salvation that comes through the washing away of sins and through His blood. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we want to help you. We want to study with you. We want to encourage you. And we want you to understand that Jesus Christ is the way and the only way. And there is no other way to the Father but by Him. If we can study with you, if we can encourage you, if we can baptize you into Christ, we want to do that. Please come as we stand and sing.